Welcome to Wilshire today. We are glad that you're here. And thank you, Ethan, for leading singing. If you are a Facebook person, you probably saw pictures of Ethan sitting on the house floor of the uh, Oklahoma State House. He got his CPA. And uh, they had a big thing for that yesterday. So he's got family here. Congratulations, Ethan. So if you have tax questions after church, find Ethan. He'll, uh... <laughs> and he'll do it for free, I think. That's a really, really good thing. No, 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 no. We have a lot going on, and uh, we are celebrating this evening some of our high school graduates. I hope you'll be there for the senior celebration. There'll be finger foods and cake, and I guess the seniors will be there as well. So uh, that's for the church to celebrate with them. Yesterday was a big day for a lot of our uh, high school graduates. It's amidst all the raining and thunder, they, lots of them were at their... Uh, downtown graduating and going through things took place in other places as well so celebrate with them and let them know that the church uh, loves them and appreciates them and and join us tonight that'll be after uh, our devotional this evening if these storms hold off tomorrow and there's no severe weather i have an elders meeting to go to tomorrow night i've been thinking about this uh, jim by the way i think you're supposed to be there too <laughs> Put that on your calendar. It's not there. I've been trying to figure this out. You know, I've been at Wilshire about 17 years. We try to have an elders ministers meeting at least once a month. I've done the math and I've been to almost over 150 elders meetings. Now, I don't believe in work salvation, but if there were such a thing, <laughs> our meetings aren't that bad, actually. They're great. They're, they're really interesting. It's, I get to watch Jim and I and uh, Tony and Andrew, we get to watch our elders wrestle with some difficult questions. We're not at all the elders' meetings. They meet without us, and as they ought to. But uh, In fact, at the last elders' meeting, I had to take a picture. Most of our elders' meetings, there's pizza boxes and soda cans and plates, and it looks like a college dorm room. When the elders and ministers meet, it's, it's really fascinating. But I've watched them struggle and wrestle with very difficult questions. And kind of at the bottom of, of all elders' meetings, there are two central questions that our elders and any good eldership wrestles with. The first question, is this church, this congregation of people living in the will of God? Are we doing what God calls his church to do? And you watch them wrestle this through different questions and different challenges. And the second, the second question that they wrestle with is, how do we maintain the unity of the body of Christ? That's a tricky thing. It's not often very easy. I mean, if you think about the diverse backgrounds, the different, the different upbringings that we all have, our, our histories, and we all gather here under the name of Jesus Christ as members of the Wilshire Church of Christ, to take the name of Jesus into the community, that can be tricky. And so we've watched as the elders wrestle with these kind of questions. I happen to pull the records from our last elders meetings. And there you see there our elders are. We list who was there and all four of the elders. The ministry staff was there. Our agenda for the last elders meeting, we always begin with a list of concerns, things going on in your life and challenges and questions of faith, challenges in your family and jobs and your health. 
And we spend a considerable amount of time at the beginning of these meetings praying for this church by name, many of you. And then there was concern about uh, Joy and Lawrence and their situation and how the church can work with them and minister to them. We, we took some time going over the education ministry and, and what it is we're going to be studying and talking about for the next quarter. We, we looked at the schedule of the summer, when's VBS, the school supply giveaway. That's kind of the agenda of our last elders meeting. And behind all of those questions, are we living in the will of God? And how do we maintain the unity of God's people? Every good eldership asks those two basic questions at every meeting. So I've been thinking about that as I read this week's text. We're going through the book of Acts, and we're in Acts 15 today. Acts 15 contains what I believe one of the first set of notes from any elders' meetings in the New Testament church. Because you have in Acts 15 a meeting of the elders of the church at Jerusalem. The apostles are there, and it is a, it is a vitally important meeting that takes place. This isn't just your average checking in on things kind of meaning in Acts chapter 15. This meeting is in the center of the book of Acts, as one scholar said, both theologically and chronologically. It's in the middle of the book of Acts for a reason. Because this meeting and this moment is a turning point in the life of the church. And they are going to deal with some weighty issues at this elders meeting. At the bottom of it are those two basic questions. What is the will of God? Are we living within it? And how do we maintain the unity of God's people? Luke walks us through the elders meeting in Acts 15. The people in attendance that day were the apostles. Peter and James are there. There are missionaries present to do a missions report. Paul and Barnabas and the elders are present. And he tells us the agenda of that day. The church has been growing at an incredible rate. Back in Acts 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas, we follow their missionary journey. And as they go through, they're baptizing people. And Luke will tell you that they'll go to a synagogue. Some Jewish believers will be there. But then many Greeks are added to the church. And then you flip to chapter 14. And there are many Greeks coming Christians. Non-Jewish believers coming into the church. There are prominent women and prominent men. All of these people are coming to Christ, being baptized into Christ. And the church is growing and growing and growing. And then we get to the end of chapter 14 of Acts, and the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, and they tell the church at Antioch how God is opening a door to the Gentiles. And the church at Antioch is so excited about what God is doing. It's a missions report of a successful missionary tenure. But when the church grows... It brings with it some challenges. I mean, how many of you, by a show of hands, how many of you would love to see Wilshire packed this morning? Would you like to see that? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there wasn't a place to sit? If we had to bring in chairs and, and live stream to the fellowship hall the sermon and the singing and the prayers. Wouldn't you love it 
if every member of your family were sitting in a pew next to you? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the people you work with were so interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ through the conversations you'd have that they wanted to come to hear about Jesus? What about the kids that you're... That you're that your own kids play ball with or in band with and go to school with? What if they had an interest in learning about Jesus Christ? What if their parents, who you sat on the bleachers watching your kids play, who you traveled with to all these, what if they wanted to be here to learn about Jesus? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Now, everybody raised their hand. Most of you raised your hand. But let me warn you if that were to happen. If Wilshire grew like that, the kingdom of God as represented as Wilshire, if this church grew like that, that brings some challenges. For one, when you showed up on Sunday morning, you wouldn't be able to park in your usual spot. When you walked in, you wouldn't get to sit in your usual pew. Someone would be taking that spot. That can be annoying sometimes, can't it? There's a good chance we'd run out of coffee and donuts after church. Someone would complain, why can't we figure out the coffee machine? Why can't we figure out, always buy extra donuts? You can never have too many donuts. (laughs) It's Jim's new ministry, he's buying our donuts. I gotta warn you, if people start coming to this church like that, there's a good chance worship's gonna last longer. Jim or I will extend the invitation, and you never know how many people are going to say, today I'm putting on Jesus in baptism. You know what that's like. It takes a little time. They'll go back there, and Ethan's going to sing as many songs as he can pull out of his back pocket to sing. (laughs) Someone will be baptized, and then somebody else will say, I want to make that decision too. Before you know it, we're going to be getting out of church at 12.30. You get down to Red Lobster or Chili's and all the other folks in the community are already in line ahead of you. Do you really want this church to grow? I mean, it's going to be inconvenient for you if it does. I remember a few years ago, there were three girls. Some of you may remember this. Three girls from the community. They're less than 12 years old, their parents just dropped them off. No adult supervision in this church. They'd come and they would sit in the pews and they'd get up and run out and then they'd run back right in the middle of church. And it annoyed some of you, I remember that. Why can't parents stay with their kids? I warn you, if this church grows, you're going to see more and more of that. And it's going to bring about problems and challenges that we're not sure how to handle. That's what's happening in Acts 15. These missionaries have been so successful in taking the gospel of Jesus that there are people coming to worship who are different than us, whose lives are messes, whose backgrounds are different than us. They're Gentiles. They didn't grow up sitting in Sabbath school, going to the synagogue and reading the Torah and and eating what we eat. They came from weird, messed up backgrounds. 
And when they come to Jesus Christ and they become part of the church, the church celebrates that they're here and then this church begins to live in the reality and challenges that comes with that. And in Acts chapter 15, there's a group of people who go from Jerusalem to Antioch. Antioch is this church that Jim talked to us about a few weeks ago that, that's doing so well. It's this inter-ethnic, interracial, inter, this diverse church that seems to be doing well until some people show up from Jerusalem and they say, okay, if these people are going to be in our church, they have to become Jewish. You've got to circumcise the men. They're going to have to keep the law of Moses. They're going to have to honor the Sabbath day. They're going to have to change their diet. You cannot be a member of this church unless you become Jewish. You might imagine that caused a bit of a stir. In fact, the way Luke says it, Luke says there was no small dissension about this the kind way of saying it got ugly. And so, we call an elders meeting. And we send people, we send Paul and Barnabas from Antioch to go to Jerusalem. And we send these people who are teaching this, who are saying this about these new Christians, you've got to become Jewish. They're invited to the meeting as well. And we bring into this meeting also Peter, who seems to still be a prominent part of the church in Jerusalem. And we have in that meeting James, a very respected person among the Jews and the Christians. Because we have to get to the bottom of this. This issue, this question in the book of Acts, is pivotal to what happens in the life of the church. This is not some conversation about liberal or conservative beliefs, traditional or non-traditional worship. This gets at the very heart of what does it mean to be a Christian? What defines us as the people of God? And how can we live in the life of Jesus Christ together? They could have done the simple thing and said, well, I tell you what. At 9 a.m. we'll have Jewish worship. And then at 10 a.m. we'll have Gentile worship. We'll tell everyone we're the same church. We'll tell everyone we believe the same thing and we follow the same Jesus and we love each other. But we'll just worship at different times. That won't cut it. That's not sufficient. If you are saved in the name of Jesus Christ and if they are your brother and sister... This has to be worked out. And so we call an elders meeting. And first on our speaker's list is Peter. Peter begins to speak. Peter says, let me remind you what God did years ago. We think it's about 10 years, though we're not certain. 10 years ago, I was sent by God. You helped appoint me to go speak to the Gentiles. And I was speaking, and Cornelius became a Christian. And in the middle of that sermon the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius. And as Peter gives his testimony or his observations, Peter concludes, now look, God has not made a distinction between them and between us. They are saved by the grace through faith in Jesus Christ, 
And if you and I are going to be saved, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The law does not save you, so the law is not going to save them. What saves us is grace and faith in Jesus Christ. Peter appeals to a story that we've already read in Acts chapter 10. And if you missed it, we read it again in Acts chapter 11. And if you missed it, he gives it again in Acts chapter 15. It's Luke's way of saying, don't miss the point of this. Next up to speak is Paul and Barnabas. Luke doesn't tell us a lot about what they had to say because he's just spent two chapters telling you what they're going to say. We've gone through Lystra and Derby and, and Antioch of Pisidia and, and we've taught and the Gentiles came to faith in Jesus Christ and we watched with our own eyes as the Spirit of God performed wonders and signs and miracles among the Gentiles. It seems to us if God is doing those things among the Gentiles, God must be already accepting the Gentiles who have not been circumcised, who do not keep the law and honor the Sabbath and all these requirements you're asking. And then Paul and Barnabas sit down at the elders' meeting and grab a piece of pizza. And then James speaks. James, the brother of the Lord. James, the well-respected figurehead in the church in Jerusalem. A well-respected figurehead. And James says, it seems to me like this is fulfillment of what the prophets have been talking about for years. And he names a prophet, Amos, Amos chapter 9. And back in Amos chapter 9, God envisioned a day in which he would restore and set again the torn down nation of David. And he quotes the text. After this, I will return, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. James says, God says he's going to accept them. And if God says he's going to accept them, we must accept them. If you're an astute observer of the book of Acts, you'll notice that this is a particularly interesting text for James to quote. Because when the book of Acts begins, it begins kind of with this question of the disciples asking Jesus, chapter 1 and verse 6, is it at this time you're going to restore the nation of Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. And then Luke, in every conceivable way, seems to be saying, it's fulfilled, it's restored, it's restored, it's restored. Until you get to this chapter when James explicitly says, look, when God has restored the nation of Israel, he's going to allow Gentiles in to seek his name. And God has restored the nation of Israel in the life of the church and so therefore the Gentiles are part of the church. The question they ask in chapter 1 and verse 6 is clearly answered 
by this quotation of Amos chapter 9. And then James says, let's write a letter to them. And let's make some specific requests. Here's his request. Chapter 15 and verse 19. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from that which has been strangled, and from blood. Let's ask them to live by these standards. Now, I'll be honest with you, scholars argue right and left, up and down, about why this list and what this means. It does seem kind of odd that James is saying, look, just tell them to be pure in their sexual lives. There's a little more to it than that, it appears. It, it seems that James has particularly in mind this practice that happens in pagan temple worship. That you cannot claim to have this relationship with people when you're doing things and living a life that is completely antithetical, completely against the Jewish law at its core. So that things polluted by idols and, and sexual immorality, those are the things they do in pagan temples. Those were a part of Gentile culture in a lot of circles. And, and since the law of Moses and those sensibilities have been taught throughout the land, you can't maintain fellowship when you're doing things that fly in the face of who we are and what we've always stood for. If this is going to work, you also need to respect your Jewish brethren. And so they write a letter and they send it with the, Paul and Barnabas, their plan. I find the way they write the letter interesting. Chapter 15 and verse 22. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders at the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers... Both the apostles and the elders to the brothers of the Gentiles. Let's just stop there. He's, he's going to repeat the rest of this decision that they've come to. But you're Gentile. And a Jew, and the Jewish elders, the Jewish apostles, write a letter. And you open the letter. And it begins by calling you their brother. You are one of us. You are equal before God with us. God has accepted you and we accept you. And then that letter goes on to report this call to live in harmony with the church. It's a remarkable text. It's an interesting story. It's their, it's their elders' notes from their meetings. How do you make a diverse church happen and in this letter the, the conclusion is there's no needful circumcision circumcision is what makes you Jewish and you're not having to be Jewish to be saved because Jesus Christ saves you they're not second-class citizens in the church they are saved by Jesus Christ we're not going to force you to be circumcised that's more than Jesus is calling of you. 
But on the other side, this letter is saying there's no need for offense. You have to understand your Jewish brethren. Now, I believe that the call of the gospel eliminates some of these things, fornication and idolatry practices. But I think it's James' way of saying you have to understand that the things in your culture, the things in your background that directly challenge who, who the Jewish people are and even who Jesus himself was, that you have to be respectful of your brothers and sisters who are Jewish. Eating strangled animals or meat and blood or practicing fornication, that's temple stuff to temple gods and, and you're Christians now. And when they encountered their Jewish neighbors who had read the law their whole lives, these things would provoke them and prevent them from any relationship. You see, the elders of Acts 15 are being asked to answer the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean you have to be Jewish and practice the Jewish law? Or are you a Christian because of your faith and conviction in Jesus Christ? And what else it means to be Christian is that you love the community of believers. That you respect each other. That you don't flaunt your, your background. That your understanding of their sensibilities. When we call people to become disciples of Jesus Christ today, what are we asking them to become? Have we confused Christianity with other traditions and beliefs and things that have nothing to do with the call of Jesus Christ? Or are we, as James warns, putting more burdens on them than we ought to? Does a person have to become an American to be a faithful Christian? We have missionaries sometimes who who take the gospel around the world and they convert them, and sometimes they convert them to Jesus, but to an American idea of Jesus. That you have to believe in America to be saved. That's asking more than Jesus is asking. Or if you're going to come to Jesus, you have to be a Republican. Or you have to become a Democrat. You cannot be a faithful child of God unless you pick your party. Jesus never said that. If you're going to become a Christian, that's defined by Jesus Christ. Are we asking more of people than Jesus calls us to give? That was the question of Acts chapter 15. That was the reason for the elders meeting. There's a mutual respect among the people of God. You see, it would have been easy just to say, we'll start a Gentile church. And we'll give them our blessing and just we don't want to mess with it. It gets too messy when you mix people from different backgrounds. Let's not do that. Let's have a Gentile church and a Jewish church or a Gentile worship hour and a Jewish worship hour. And if you don't like what we're doing, just go start your own church. But that wasn't sufficient. We are defined by faith and grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. And anything more than that is asking more 
of our brothers and sisters than Jesus did. And I just want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to respect and love my brothers and sisters who gather here from various backgrounds, different educations, different life experiences, and speak the gospel into their life. To define life not by traditions or nationality or ethnicity, but by Jesus Christ. Let that be what defines us and holds us together. That was the challenge of this elders' meeting in Acts 15. And that's the challenge for us. I would love to see Wilshire grow and grow and grow. But let me warn you, if and when it does, then we're going to have to rely more and more on the grace of Jesus Christ and the faith as defined by Him. Not necessarily our traditions or our preferences, but by the sheer gospel of Jesus Christ, by what God reveals in His Word. And that gets messy sometimes, but it's necessary. Our salvation, brothers and sisters, does not come by our own accomplishments. It doesn't come by our traditions, no matter how well-meaning they may be. Salvation is found in Christ Jesus. And anyone who wants to follow Jesus from any background other than our background must come to know Jesus and define faith through Him. A faith defined by Jesus Christ and not these other things. And that's what the elders decided that day. They listened to the voice of Peter, who recounted the work of God among the Gentiles, and they listened to Paul and Barnabas and recounted it, what God had done through them. And then they opened the pages of Scripture, and they asked for the guidance of the Lord. Let's do that. We're a community defined by Jesus Christ. Let's open the words of Scripture. And let Scripture tell us who Jesus is and what He calls us to be. And anything outside of that should not be used to define and draw lines in the kingdom of God. And with that, the elders sent the letter and the gospel of Jesus Christ began or continued to spread around the world. And may the same thing happen at Wilshire. I'm going to offer the invitation of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus. No matter your background, no matter, no matter anything about you, you can be defined strictly by Jesus Christ. And if you want to become a Christian this morning, and you want to name Jesus and put Jesus Christ on in baptism, the only thing to determine whether you're accepted by God or not is whether you're accepted by Jesus Christ or not, and whether you've accepted Jesus Christ on His terms. That's our guiding star. And so if you want to make that decision today, we invite you to come while we stand and sing together.